Welcome to today's episode of CLCI Live, brought to you by the award-winning and ICF-accredited school, Certified Life Coach Institute. Sit back, relax, and enjoy today's episode. Uh, before we get started on duck coaching, <laughs> I want to mention that, or make sure everybody comments, shares, all of that good stuff. We are monitoring your comments um, while we do this, and uh, thank you guys for watching. And I'm going to just turn it over to Jerome on that note. I don't know what I'm doing anymore. <laughs> Hello, everybody. Welcome to another Tuesday Live here at four with us. Um, I'm a little confused as to what coaching a pair of ducks means myself. So hopefully I get to figure that out by the end with you guys as well. So uh, we will get started in just a sec. We do have a good handful of staff here today. So I want to go ahead and let them go ahead and introduce themselves. So we can start with Lisa. Hi, welcome. Thank you uh, for being here as always. Um, be sure to like, share, comment on all of this. We appreciate uh, you adding content to this as well it makes it much more interesting. Um, one way, who am I? I'm Lisa. I am a couples coach and I'm also the owner of Certified Life Coach Institute. Welcome. Yes, please interact. We are watching you guys' comments, so we will respond to you guys if we have the second to. And over to Dan. Hi, I'm Dan Alex. I'm lead trainer facilitator with Certified Life Coach Institute. I am a certified interpersonal hypnotherapist, which I get into paradoxical stuff doing that. And I am a professional certified coach with the ICF. That PCC does not stand for paradoxical certified coach. It's the professional certified coach. <laughs> and as always, we are happy to have Anthony here with us as well. Hi, everybody. My name is Anthony Lopez. I'm the content writer and copy editor for Certified Life Coach Institute. I'm usually hiding in the back end or in the comments and writing the blogs, but today I'm joining as a guest. We're talking about a pair of docs, Brooke, or a pair of ducks? Ducks, ducks, docs. or a paradox, I don't know. <laughs> um, so yeah, today we're gonna talk about um, a leadership coaching, kind of, uh, but leadership paradoxes. Paradoxes in business, paradoxes in life, and how to um, manage them, how to coach them, how what they are. Just in, let's just talk paradoxes, shall we? Dan, one of Dan's favorite paradoxes are there um, are are no absolutes. <laughs> mm -hmm. That's my favorite. Mm -hmm. it, it, you use it often. <laughs> absolute statement. That is an absolute statement. Yes, it is. Uh -huh. So there's a, there's something to break every rule as well. So there's but is saying that there are no absolutes as an absolute statement, does that break the rule of absolutes? Yes, it does. It does. <laughs> yeah, so so, so what, what, is, what is a paradox, I guess, in general, like as a definition then? It'd be something that's like self-contradictory. Yeah, it's something that is contradicts itself in, in yeah. and of itself. Um, uh, I can give you the exact definition. Uh, two ideas or mindsets that are diametrically opposed yet coexist. Very similar to duality. Sometimes even prove about. one another to be true, which this in the brain really starts to hurt. <laughs> this is brain hurting territory. <laughs> um, uh, but I love them. They're one of my favorite things. So, uh, what are you? We know Dan's favorite. Anybody else have a favorite paradox? Just trying to think of one. And just one that's fairly common. You have to spend money to make money. That's there's one for you. Yeah. Um, um, 
I think giving to receive is a really big one. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, they, they hear your brain. Doesn't make a whole lot of sense, right? Right off the bat, just saying it, but exploring it a bit more kind of makes much more sense, which I'm sure we'll have some time to dig into that. My other favorite comes from Zen philosophy and it's do without doing and all gets done. Yeah, yeah. What? Okay, so I'm just gonna sit here. <laughs> uh, am I doing though? Technically, am I doing? Even if I'm sitting, am I still doing? Yeah, we're doing. So we're always doing then. So we can't. We can't ever not do. You're interacting. You're contemplating where you're going. So you are doing right. In the and even when you're no no longer alive, on some level, you're still doing. It depends on your belief system. Um, well, you're decomposing. <laughs> It's still doing, isn't it? Yeah. I don't know if that's you <laughs> doing things rather than the things inside of you doing things. Well, you, but technically they are still kind of doing. <laughs> yeah, but they're not you though. That would find you. Oh no, we're going to get really deep. Really yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. I'll go with my favorite paradox. I don't know if this is a paradox, um, but I read it. I remembered it and I tried to type it out so I could see exactly what it said. If the brain was so simple that we could understand it, we would be so simple we couldn't. Read, read it, say it one more time. If the brain were so simple that we could understand it, we would be so simple that we couldn't. Oh, funny, yeah. So paradoxically, we're intelligent enough to understand a lot of things, but if we were able to understand ourselves, we'd be too simple to understand ourselves. So it just kind of goes like that. Therefore, yeah. I had an existential crisis many years ago. (laughs) Right now. (laughs) In that, I I went and I I was speaking, I was in a class in in college. It was called What is the Meaning of Life? And um, uh, through that, I had the opportunity to speak with a bunch of heads of different religions and things of that nature and and talk to them all. And um, I think one of the the wisest things said to me is that um, you'll never know you your brain could never understand if there was so don't waste your life worrying about it um and it was it's not necessarily a paradox but it reminded me very much of that that concept that if we were so simple we wouldn't be able to understand ourselves so i mean on it to me it speaks on a metaphysical level as well Uh, what we do not know or understand might be that we're not by design we may not be meant to know or understand it right which brings me into a business concept actually yeah, how, can we, how can we bring this back down no, that there? brings me to the business concept there is a paradox of authenticity and that that to me talks uh, it speaks into the paradox of authenticity um dan do you want to share what that is <laughs> that the more okay i need to breathe into this one for a second <laughs> lisa did we get your favorite paradox I, I was just putting in there that one of the ones i recognize often this is the beginning of the end Now I feel like I'm in the middle. <laughs> Is it always the beginning and the end? Or it's the end of the beginning. Where Either are we in the book? Ending is a new beginning. It's like that, you know, at what point, halfway through, oh, you're walking through a forest, you're not walking into it anymore, you're walking out of it. <laughs> halfway. <laughs> halfway, yeah, you know. It's <laughs> um, but you never know the halfway in that case, mm-hmm. right? Um, all right, Dan. Paradox of leadership. So the idea in the paradox of leadership is that with authenticity and the confidence of saying you don't know, 
everything that when newer leaders or leaders who are less confident in their ability to declare their ideas, if they adopt that behavior that they don't know everything and they're open to learning and getting input from the team, they tend to be seen as weaker leaders. But leaders who have been in position longer or who carry the confidence of they're sure of who they are, that when they step in front of that same group and say, I, you know, I'd love to get your opinion on this too. I'm really not sure all the answers. They're seen as stronger leaders. I would, I'm going to even step that back one step further. Um, and that, that the, also with that concept of authenticity and leadership, um, when you're leading, you're supposed to be strong and, as, but you have to be vulnerable. Um, mm -hmm when you when you are being authentic if you're going to be truly authentic you have to be vulnerable and to be vulnerable you have to have a degree of strength right but but a lot of people misconstrued what vulnerable is <clears throat> so when you're speaking about being vulnerable and authentic what do you mean who are you talking to oh anybody <laughs> wants to answer um well, when I think, when I, I when I say, mm -hmm. well, yeah, so when I say vulnerable, I, when we all are fallible as human beings, and if we are going to truly be honest with our fallibility, right, if we are going to, going to, to open up that we don't always have all the answers or, or perhaps that we make mistakes to, to be truly authentic, we have to admit those mistakes. We have to admit those failings. We have to admit our missteps so that we can be authentic I mean, exists authentically, but in admitting our failings and our mistakes and our, our you know, vulnerabilities, we are uh, admitting weakness, but we're a leader and we're supposed to be strong. So that in itself is paradoxical uh, in my mind. Yes. Is that no. idea of the beginner's mindset that when we're, we're in that, it's like when we're in the learning phase and we know we don't know anything that we're expected to be learning and be the receptacle of all this wisdom and knowledge that's being imparted on us. And then there's this weird space in between where we're supposed to know. And if we don't know, then we're in somehow haven't learned enough. And then at the end of it, it's like the, the idea that the master has failed more. I say it a lot in training. The master's failed more time, many more times than the novice has ever tried. Mm -hmm. And if you talk to anybody in martial arts, they'll tell you there is no such thing as perfection and they're always learning. So it's, it's back to that, it's back to the, this conscious awareness that I don't know everything. And somehow <laughs> that brings the ability to be vulnerable in an authentic way. Well, I think that too, what, what, what comes to, what comes into play in this uh, ultimately is that a good leader doesn't need to know everything. A good leader can have a good team and, and know, know who to have on their team and how, when to make them shine, when to turn to them, when to, and, and as a leader, I shouldn't know everything. I don't have to know everything. I don't have to do everything. What I have to do is know how to lead and know how to put people in, in places that they will succeed so that everybody can succeed. And that's, I think, where the, that paradox opens up or breaks down right is is um is is in accepting that as a leader i don't need to know everything as a leader i just need to know know how to see that what my team knows that's or the classic steve leader. jobs quote that that's the classic steve jobs quote i don't hire smart people to tell them what to do i hired smart people to tell me what to do mm -hmm. 
Yeah, exactly. Um, and so that's why, I mean, that's, that's, I think it's actually more of a, um, a misnomer or a, a misconception in leading that, that you're supposed to go in and have all this ton of experience. I started managing uh, huge teams of people at the age of 19. And I'm talking adult men that were in their, they were not happy. <laughs> um, but I was in that, I mean, I, I was given the, the role and the position and I, I own it and I, I did. And um, it had nothing, I, my boss told me to lie about my age until I was 27 years old. <laughs> She's like, you, you lie until you're 27. At 27, you can be your own age. <laughs> that, that brings up a paradox though, because I, you weren't being authentic if you were lying about your age to sort of please. I just never brought it up. Below you. Yeah. But um, I guess it depends on the person. What is an acceptable concession well, and as far I as had... getting the job done? I had people, there was a woman on my team that was, was one of, was my boss. She stepped down and I was put into her position um, when she, and she voluntarily did. Mm -hmm. And she, both because of my success and because of my age, um, ended up quitting and was very, like she, and, and tried to like take people with her. Like, fortunately they did not, but it was a thing. And at, at, at you know, I was 20 at the time I was, um, it was very kind of, she was also a mentor of mine. So I was like, what happened here? Um, uh, but that's an interesting thing. Age and kind of, you know, age and wisdom, age and leadership, age and business. A lot of times there's a lot of ageism stuff that goes on the opposite way. <laughs> and actually in both ends, truly, mm -hmm. in both ends. Like, yeah. Do you think looking back now, would you have, at 20 years old, would you have laid down the law and been like, I, I am this age and I am, you know, your manager? Um, I, I think I wouldn't have handled it any differently in because it, it never came up as an issue apart from um, just my, my, my boss telling me just to keep it on the down low, hearing once in a while that one or two few people were kind of upset or, but they still listened and they didn't, you know, they still did their job and did it well. Um, because ultimately, uh, no matter my age isn't relevant, as long as I'm doing my job and leading for, uh, in, a, in a, you know, effective manner. So when we think of effective leading, the paradoxals, the, I don't know if that's a word or did I just reinvent one? Anyway, the connection to paradox, how does ha having a paradox work to an advantage in oh. Anyway, I mean, well, I think if we look at the paradoxes, I'll just, I'll, I'll just list a few in business. Um, uh, there's like innovate versus optimize, um, in, which are actually in opposition of one another. Um, uh, adaptation and authenticity. Um, uh, you have to be hungry to succeed is one. You have to spend money to make money. There's a value paradox where... Um, the more you have of something, the less valuable it becomes, <laughs> um, which is in itself a paradox. Uh, so how, how can it be beneficial? Is it you get, you get to be, find the balance between the two, right? Is that you, can, you, you don't wanna ignore either side because both are important and it's it finding not, that balance. But it may not be a balance. It, it's what determining what bits and pieces of each side work to the benefit of the corporation or or the situation or the team yes absolutely absolutely so only becomes paradoxical if you follow both points to their like extreme ends simultaneously yeah. or if you let's paradox. let's say if you're if you have a team of people and there's a team of people with this mindset uh, the team of people with the 
the operations mindset and the type of people with the innovation mindset. And so the innovation mindset people are fighting for their, what they think is most important. And then you have the, the, the other ones fighting for what they think is most important. And that's where you get that sometimes that, that, that clash in business. So then how do you bring those two polar ends to a place where they're actually communicating and working together and seeing the benefit of both sides? Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just like numbers people versus creative people. It's, uh, you know, the creative people put a lot of value in the creative, but the, the logistics numbers folks are like, okay, guys, come on, we got to re- rein this in a little, but you have to find that balance between the two because both are very important and critical. Uh, and I think it's important that they realize that they're one team and helping that mindset shift in that, if you will, meeting to understanding that they're one team, bringing that to the table and then building it from there like you're speaking of yeah Hi, Latija, by the way that reminds me of a concept that came up in um one of the recent level twos i think it was last month the um the idea and it, it's a bit of a paradox as well that anyone who is more than about 75 miles away from you is suddenly an expert because the people in your local area couldn't possibly be and it reminds me back when I was still working in corporate, there would be all this wonderful tribal legacy knowledge within the company that we could have easily had ownership embraced that wisdom and leveraged it. They wouldn't have had to hire somebody from outside the company who they're the expert because they have the word consultant after their name um, to actually come in, mine all of us for our wisdom and then regurgitate it back to ownership. Well, and then, so, but, the, but there, in there, what is the issue there? There's a, there is a, there is a disconnect between the management and the, the employees. And that leads me to another um, leading, a good leader doesn't lead. There's another paradox for you. A good leader does not lead. Um, uh, what, I mean, what does that mean for you guys? For me, it means allowing people to, like holding and supporting. Mm-hmm not letting somebody walk off of a cliff, but at the same time, letting them make their own decisions to say, learn from off, them. As you say, don't walk off a cliff. I think give them enough rope to hang themselves. Like, <laughs> so I'm killing my people. You're letting, you're saving them from the cliff walking. <laughs> oh, I'll give them enough rope that they can climb back up. What they do with it once they go over the edge is all there. Well, I, I've, I've seen this at companies that I've worked at those same company that I've worked at where people were in different leadership positions. And I would see, mainly two examples of this either leading by example Mm -hmm. which is they're down in the dirt with us and they're doing everything we're doing and they're you know leading the way as actual leaders but then you also have on the other side people who lead by not leading at all they just have certain expectations for us they don't micromanage a lot they're more of a support staff than they are really think anything else and if we have questions they sort of have an open environment where we can go to them with our questions, concerns, or problems that need to be solved by them. And then they'll take on that more leadership position, but they're mostly just hanging out in the background. So I see, I see those two types of leaders um, more common in sort of like workspace environments. And I think both are good, right? I think that, that they're, I mean, I, I've always believed in, in getting in when, it, when the time comes, rolling up your sleeves, if, you, if your team needs it and being willing to do that, but also as, as, as a manager, as a, your role should be removed and you should be allowing your team to grow and thrive um, as well. And I guess I think as a leader, you want to have 
done the different positions so you can have a full um, presence of knowing, maybe not um, knowing 100%. Like if I do my job, I know what I'm doing here uh, 100%. But different aspects of different positions so that when the troubleshooting comes back to the leader, that they have a better perspective of the different areas so that they can help make that and formulate the best decision. It's a matter of kind of being able to speak the language or understand the, the, the situation. And the, the, I mean, you, you don't have to know the nuances. You have to have an understanding of what the, the bigger picture is and, and yeah. the, the little details. Like, um, I don't need to, if I have a technical person that's really, you know, super into something technical that I don't understand, I don't have to know how that cable gets attached to that or what have you. I just have to know enough to know what the issue is or if there is one. Um, and then, and then know who, how, who to delegate or who to hire to delegate to, right? Yeah, absolutely. I, th I think a huge part of being a powerful leader has to do with not really seeing those around you as numbers, but as people. Mm -hmm. um, because like you oh see them God. as numbers-based, well, sort of like manpower-based, just as an extension of what you already know. Um, that makes it big, right? Not having a number, not being top corporate, you know, being family, you recognize in the individual strength. Yes, exactly. Oh, and it, I think that really plays a huge role in allowing around you to grow, considering, again, you're just looking at people as numbers and an extension of what you already know. Um, you're not really allowing for breathing room for the rest of the group around you to grow in different directions that you may not have had the time or energy to do so. Isn't that another sort of paradox in sort of leadership as well, where at a certain point you do kind of for like practicality, you kind of have to view the people underneath you as numbers yeah. in an Excel spreadsheet, whether you want to or not, um, because you have people above you who may only view the people wow. below you as numbers on a spreadsheet. So how do you sort of balance that? I between... think that the, 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 that's an oversimplification though, uh, because I think that, and it's an assumption as well, because. It, it may not be because there's people over you, but in business, at some point, you have to look at the numbers and you have to look at return on investment. And you have to, uh, you, you, if, if the business, you have to look at the, the, uh, I guess the greater good at some point in some situations where, um, and tough choices have to happen. It's life. Um, and, and, um, uh, that is the nature of business. And I don't think that that it's that you're not looking at or you're only looking at people as numbers. I think that's where the oversimplification comes in, but it is it is putting the the um, needs of a business ahead of I guess the need of a, an individual employee or the, the the job of an individual employee because sometimes you have to lay people off so that the business succeeds as a whole for the greater good and the more people at the business. Um, I think that's why coaching is working in businesses these days, because what they're doing is looking at the person. Yes, they have to meet the criteria of numbers and they see the value of the person. So they're giving them, potentially giving them an opportunity to grow and understand what the business as numbers needs while the business is acknowledging the human and what that human needs uh, to succeed there. Yeah, well, and that's, so that's a big, very important part of business. And it's something that I um, had an amazing mentor who taught me uh, is, is you want to set your team up to succeed when they come in. 
um, that, that when you are leading as a manager, so this is the, another paradox, um, the, the accountability, holding people accountable or acknowledging that failure is part of the process. So there's, that's, a, that's another paradox where you have to balance. Do, do I hold my team accountable when things go wrong and at failures? Or do I, in fact, um, just acknowledge it as part of the process and that accountability doesn't come? Um, there is, there's a divide there that often happens um, because there's a benefit, the benefit to accountability, but there's also a benefit to, to knowing that mistakes happen and not, not doing that. Um, I think there's also a shift in mindset that takes place there and because it's easy to look at the accountability from particularly a managerial perspective of I'm in control and that there's this has to happen in a certain way. And that's that's when controlling managers tend to come in because I've, I've got to fix it. I'm the only one who can do it. Rather, and that's the short-term perspective of it's got to get fixed now versus the long-term team growth of let them fail so they can learn. Mm -hmm. And then because nothing they do, it, none of it's rocket science, we'll figure it out and we'll, we'll learn forward to be a stronger team. Well, and as a manager, if my team is failing, it, I need to look at where I'm failing. It means I'm failing my team. If my team is failing, I'm failing them first um, because something I'm doing is now. Now, of course, there are always exceptions to these that we're making absolutes. <laughs> um, but uh, I mean, because there are some hard and fast and true things that, that just aren't acceptable. Or we talked about um, passive aggressiveness last week and how on occasion. But then as a manager, though, I would still have to ask myself, what is causing this employee to be passive aggressive? What am I, what environment am I creating that they cannot share their emotion with me? Or how can I, how can I create that space? Another paradox there, um, being a manager and having empathy and also having to be a disciplinarian or having to be, um, if not a disciplinarian, a, um, uh, having empathy and still maintain that, that professional boundary. Um, and that's something that can be kind of, a tough, tough place to be. I mean, um, I, I think you can still have empathy um, as well. You can, you know, understand that. I mean, I'm, I'm thinking more of like hypothetical situations if someone's in trouble or you need to, you know, um, sort of have a talk to an employee about something or a concern of yours. And let's say worst case scenario, you need to write them up. Um, ask them, you know, what you know what's going on like is there anything i can help you what caused you or this event to happen understand that maybe try to find solutions where from your perspective you can help them as a manager and try to get the coach of them into seeing what they can do to fix the problem but then you know and that's where the coach we're still going to go through this disciplinary process but you're withholding your emotions. You're not angry at them. You're sort of um, holding a more neutral space so that you can get the work done, get the job done and move on to the next step or move on and not dwell on sort of what may or may not have happened. Well, in, in a lot of this, it doesn't have to be a disciplinary direction. It can be, let's figure out where growth is. A lot of times people are hiring leadership coaches to help them figure out how to finally break through, if you will, that glass ceiling that they can't seem to get through. So there's different aspects of leadership coaching. There's so many avenues to work 
um, in this field, paradoxically. <laughs> um, well, and the thing too, again, is is setting up your employee to win. Um, and that's where where assessments and things like that come in. Come in. If I am as a manager put my employee in a position where they feel like they're failing, and or they don't they they don't feel like they can do a job a good job, and they that that continues that employee is inevitably going to fail. They're um, inevitably going to not do as well and be as productive as if I instead talk to my employee, find out what they're passionate about, figure out what they're good at, where they excel, what their strengths are, and place them so that they are in a space where their strengths can shine. That employee is going to be, I mean, an employee that's a hundred times better than than when you put them in a space where they're miserable, and so that's where that's where that that assessing, that knowing, that that empathy, that coaching space comes in very very handy because you can really get to know your staff and then place them accordingly. And and if you're not you, then that's where like having a coach come in and do that is very beneficial for you. Mm -hmm. There's um, another yeah. paradox in that serving your staff rather than necessarily leading them. Uh -huh. And that's leading without leading. Yeah. So. Well, and that's also listening too to yourself. When they come in, ask, I mean, ask, what do you want to do here? What what are you passionate about? How can I help you succeed? Um, how am I failing you? <laughs> As well. Uh, Dan's familiar with the, the seven hands by what's his name, Dan? Edward DeBono. DeBono, yeah. And, and that is a great place in, in space to use that concept where you wear different hats and they represent different uh, concepts of ways to look at a given situation so that it doesn't feel like perhaps the pressure, if, if we're talking about one person, it doesn't feel like on the pressure of that one person, they get to take it outside of themselves and really work out the different details that need to be looked at to work towards success. It can bring those two sides, the opposing, that operations and that you know innovation side together, because by forcing them to think, the 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 creative to think with that 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 critical brain for a minute or that analytical brain and wear that hat, they can then get some understanding, empathy, and and um uh, for for what the analytical side is doing. And a lot of times, that is where that clash is coming in. Is they're only thinking about them and their department. So getting them to have a better understanding of the whole picture and that it's all it's it's all interlinked is, is kind of critical. Yeah. And that's, and that's one a of the, great way to do that. What? That's one of the paradoxes of De Bono's thinking hats is you have this big problem and everybody tends to talk about all of it and it gets the water gets muddy. But when you wear those individual hats and only focus on the facts or the growth opportunities or the obstacles one at a time and, and you parse it down into compartments without the others muddying, that you actually get a more clear holistic view by focusing on one thing at a time. Mm -hmm. Paradox. And you get everyone participating, the, op the opposing teams that were opposing, and they're now contributing to the growth of what direction they're moving in. Mm -hmm. So Sue Bull says correct placement of an employee with their talents is, uh, is most of the battle. And then Letitia Walker says, it's important to have company values that weaves within each role, such as um, act as an owner at different levels in someone's career can mean different things and functions. Um, but I, I, I think, yes, company values, I mean, it's, it's like setting the intention, right? Um, uh -huh. Very, very important. Do we have an intention? <laughs> <laughs> <Our> coaches, 
We do, if there's a mission yeah. statement. <laughs> Somewhere. We don't know it off the top of our head, but it's up there. It's there. <laughs> we spoke about it. Um, um, I was going to, there was another paradox I was going to. Yeah. I've, I've got a paradox. Yeah, that's go ahead. Not, that's not really focused on oh, that's what it is. being a leader to people underneath you. It's more so if you are climbing the corporate ladder or trying to become a leader sort of in a system, um, how do you work with looking out for yourself, number one, uh, being competitive, yet at the same time trying to work in a team and you have good relations with people around you? Because a lot of times if you're just absolutely vicious trying to get as much social and you well, know, that's, that's again as possible, that's a, you're not acknowledging that it takes the team like you're not acknowledging no one person yeah. you, you cannot operate autonomously as much as we can look pretend we look out for number one yeah we number one is going to fail and only get so far without everybody else like you can only go so far if you want to what is the saying if you want to go fast go like alone, fast, if you go alone go far, far go, go because uh, I had a, um, this was a while ago at a place I used to work, I had uh, somebody who was in the position above me and he sort of confided in, in me and I was, he was like, why does it feel like nobody likes me that I'm working here? And I had to be honest with him, I was like, because you're a jerk and like you try to like, <laughs> you, you constantly try to like do the looking out for number one thing and try to make yourself look better and try to sort of gratiate yourself to management to try to like move up, but it's not working for like the rest of us that you have to work with on a day-to-day -day basis. You know, the different, I just thought of the, so the, in, in coaching, when we teach our level one, we teach about I statements and using I statements mm -hmm. in business. However, especially if you're a leader, you don't want to use I statements. You want to use we statements. You want to use we, because uh, the moment, especially if you're leading that you, I something you have now taken credit and you're not acknowledging your team. Um, and so it's a we thing. And that's always, I mean, always acknowledge the team first. You are nothing without your team. <laughs> um, and I think uh, there's something in, I think there's, some, there's a part of that in coaching as well, particularly in like in the exploration mm -hmm. phase in the middle of the session, the we, the collaboration comes through. Mm -hmm. And then at the end, one of the things like particularly in students, oh, so what are we going to do next week? No, it, there's no we of what are we doing next week. It's what are you doing next week? We throw it back to the client to get that binary of there's one person taking action, not the coach mm -hmm. and the other person. Mm -hmm. And and it, it would be the same if I, if the coach was going into a business, it would be getting everybody on a we in a we space, but it's about them as a team having mm -hmm. a single goal, right? Mm -hmm. um, and that's what the difference between team coaching and group coaching and all of that is that it's a, it's a universal, a singular mindset uh, is, mm -hmm. is a team. Um, and that's what really what you want It's when they, it's when teams don't have the singular mindset that, that you get a lot of friction, um, going on there. Another one, humble hero is another paradox, which is, is that, that, um, uh, being confidently, uh, humble, you know, every, you want to, you want a confidently humble leader, which if we've kind of been talking about that though, this whole Dalai Lama, um, Maybe at the same time, be humble, but know when to strategically sort of, you know, 
and be an advocate for yourself because if you want a promotion or you want a leadership position, you need to be able to very clearly say what have you achieved, mm-hmm. what you've done um, to earn your role essentially, yet at the same time, not sort of thinking well, you're all that. It's knowing your value, but without having to discredit the value of the team. Right. It's I, it's that I, I can know and acknowledge my value and worth as a part of the team and that my contribution is important and has value by, by knowing that about myself, that does not discount the, the, the contributions and value of everybody else. Uh, it's just me, me knowing what, what I need or what I, what, I mean, a lot of times if it's coming down to that, you, there's something that's motivating you to, to say, Hey, <laughs> um, uh, in that moment, um, or the opportunity is there. Because sometimes it's just a matter of the opportunities knocking and, and you're, you're going to answer the door as well. Um, I know that for me, I, I very rarely walked in and been like, give me a lot. Most of the times it was offered to me. Um, and, and so it just matters, do you take it or not at that point? Um, I think for a lot of people, the paradox and humble leader comes with, um, and being a leader means, being a humble leader means that you are pretty much invoking a sense of vulnerability, um, which seems paradoxical because if you're vulnerable, people are going to step all over you, right? Yeah. I don't think you necessarily, I think you just kind of like what you're saying, know your worth, understand your values. It doesn't necessarily mean you're going to be in a position where you're letting people walk all over you. I mean, you still understand your value. You understand your worth. Um, being a humble leader, I think has a bunch of different benefits to it. Um, and I think Again, that's the paradox that we kind of, we for the most part, kind of battle with. You know, if you're being humble, you're being weak. I don't think that those necessarily have to go together all at the same time. It's the difference between Superman and Batman. <laughs> I don't like Superman. Superman, invulnerable. <laughs> Nobody can take him down unless they have some kryptonite. Boring. But that's just another story. <laughs> but he's very much a team player where Batman is I will he's defend my won. territory. I'm going to tell you what to do. This is he's how we're going to win. Alfred. He... <laughs> dead. Alfred died two years ago. They killed him off. And Robin. So he does. No, Robin's still around. They, that was years ago. He's they brought him back. Team. Oh, you guys, hilarious. What makes each of you? Let's let's stick with the leader concept. What makes each of you a leader? I'm abrasive and obnoxious and I won't let anybody do anything else <laughs> except what I tell them to. No. Uh, well, what, what makes what me or a good leader in general? No, you specifically. I don't know, guys, what makes me a good leader? <laughs> you have to know your own value. Bro. Yeah, I know. Um, it's one of those moments where it's like, man, I got to say good things about myself. Yeah. <laughs> and it's I don't know that this necessarily makes me a good leader, but I mean, not to just go right back to it. I I try and be as humble as possible, um, whatever I do, Um, whether it is something super simple that, um, just to put it in in numbers terms, um, that garners one client or it's something that got 100 clients for the company. I think I try and stay um, just as appreciative and humble in that space, regardless of where that's at on that end of the spectrum. I, um, as I said, I, I acknowledge that I'm nothing without my team. 
um, <laughs> than without them. So that I'm grateful, I guess. Being being grateful for, for my you know, team is huge and that makes me a good leader. I also think listening to them, but also being um, able to make a decision as well. Uh, so being um, open and uh, to, to all of the input um, and then being able to um, move forward with that knowledge and, and guide, I guess. Um, but but in, in the whole time, always, you know, with their, everybody's input as well. Um, and never thinking that I am the, the, the end all be all one and only, uh, you know, anything in an exactly. instance that it is in fact a team. I know for a fact, a big one that I see in everyone around me right now is uh, the ability to allow themselves to be critiqued. That is something Please. That I see in everyone here. <laughs> I think that's huge. Because I mean, without that, you can't really grow from, you know, to continue to be a good leader. And uh, well, it's, I, I think maybe critique has a lot of baggage. Yeah. I think it's, it's, a, it's like feedback or communication or just, you know, sharing. Um, so I think critique sounds like critics and critics really don't have a stake and they're just, you know, saying what's yes. bad about something um, without any sort of solution or critique. You're supposed to take that and then grow from it. Um, and hopefully it's not just bad things said about you with the critique is it's something that's um, you can build with, I guess. One of the greatest things that I, I learned as a creative is because there's a lot of, uh, especially with creative folk, we can get very like, I want to do that. I want to do it and do it my way. But I, because I, working in theater and working in film, you learn very quickly, you can't do everything. And so that's when I learned that that collaboration, like with, with this, the, the, I, me on my own, I have my own set of weaknesses, my own set of strengths, but Anthony's uh, strengths are going to be different than mine and his weaknesses will be different than mine. Same with Lisa, same with, so what will happen is when, when my weaknesses are present, if I have a team that's, that can support me, I'm going to stay afloat. They're going to keep me up and we're going to keep moving together and we're going to be stronger as a whole. Um, and, and, and that's what happens is you get that, you get the chance to have weaknesses so that you can learn and not come crumbling down. Why? Because you have the support of, of the people around you who have different strengths and they can help you through it. And, and the end product of everybody's different thoughts, everybody's different strengths coming together is, you know, five times stronger because those five people were there than if it was just one building it. And when you have to step up, when I, I think of a time that I had to step up um, when I was this support team and to step into the leadership role then doesn't take much. You just have to make decisions and be responsible for those decisions. And sometimes in a leadership position, people are uncomfortable making those decisions. They don't wanna do it wrong. That failing forward concept is not an acceptable direction. And yet as a humble, vulnerable, um, strong, supportive leader, you have to be able to be uh, moving towards a direction that potentially you could fail in. Oh, absolutely. Right, you have to take risks, especially the entrepreneurs. I mean, that's part of the process. Yeah. Failure you know, is- who wants to, Nobody wants to, but at the same time, if we didn't, then we wouldn't be succeeding in moving in a direction. I forget I, the I like, exact- oh, go, ahead. go ahead, Dan. Dan, Dan. I, I forget the exact quote, but Elon Musk has one about he expects failure. 
because yeah. if they're not failing, yeah. they're not growing. Yeah, that's it's not failure. It's, I just said this with Jerome. We had a conversation when something went kind of not how we expected, and we were like, mm-hmm. okay, so what do we do? How do we change? How do we adjust? And then, you know, I was like, there was something about it being a mistake or failure. It's like, no, there's no mistakes. It's it's accelerate an accelerate to change, and it's it's a, a reason to learn. That's all it is. Is this is this is a learn a lesson? It's something we can learn from and grow and be stronger of, and it's an accelerate <laughs> accelerator to change. And and that's a good thing. At the end of the day, that that failure is going to make us grow and stronger, grow and stronger. Um, learned that that was not the direction that works best for us. We yeah. learned the other instead of making a left, we needed to make a right. So now we refined our process. Now is what all, it is. politicians say it all the time. It's a teacher. Oh God. Them. <laughs> what it is. <laughs> I didn't even hear him. All I heard yeah, was, what did you say? Sorry. <laughs> I said politicians say it all the time. Uh, whenever they kind of caught red-handed with something, it's a teachable moment. I'm sorry. I apologize. <laughs> it's a teachable I'm moment. There we go. Learn from this mistake. We will move forward. <laughs> and they tend to say we a lot more whenever they make the mistake instead of I. <laughs> right? It's the I when they're taking their credit, and it's a we when I'm <laughs> Oh, well, see, because they're being supported by their team. <laughs> um, <laughs> but Dan, that's, I mean, Lisa, what makes you a good leader? Well, I was asking Dan. Oh, okay. Oh. Um, wow. Now I'm the one who's in the humble space. Not sure it's what not to so say. Easy, right? It's not, it's like, <laughs> yeah. Oh. <laughs> and I think, yeah. I think it's an, an empathy and at the same time, a, a strength and confidence to hold space for others to learn in in safety, whether it's teaching or whether it's with clients or when I was in corporate, it was very much a team approach, no matter what I did. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And do you notice how the theme in all this, all of us are uh, as as leaders, as, as when we are asked what our leadership qualities are, Every one of us has has referred to the team <laughs> in every case. Um, a, a leader can only be a leader because of their team. Mm-hmm. And the ability to interchange the leaders within the team is, is valuable because allowing someone else to be in that leadership role gives them an opportunity to learn and grow in different ways they haven't had a chance to do yeah and what was one of the things i told you it's kind of paradoxical always be training your replacement yes always yeah. be training your replacement yes um and that's not because it, it, that was something i was taught by my mentor always be training your replacement not because you're gonna leave and they're gonna take your spot or you know you're gonna get fired no because if you plan on excelling and going up the ladder you should be training the people behind you, training the person, the next person that's going to come into your spot, so the company doesn't suffer, so the business keeps going, so that your that person has your knowledge. But that in itself is kind of paradoxical because now I'm I'm giving my secrets to the you know or all the, but it's okay because you're doing it with that abundance mindset, that forward mindset, that that I'm going to be no, this is because I'm going to be moving forward and and getting stronger and and doing better, and so I I want don't I want the next person to to be successful when they come into my spot and not be left high and dry having to figure things out. Because what does that do? That hurts the, the, the business, that hurts the bigger picture, right? And there's enough out there for everyone as well. That's all yeah. mm-hmm. thing to keep in mind. By the way, I'm proud of Jerome for training his replacement. He is. Replacement. He's doing a good job. He's doing a fantastic about? job. <laughs> <laughs> 
You're out of here, Jerome. No, I'm just kidding. No, he <laughs> climbed the ladder. <laughs> firing you on live. Man, this sucks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I hope uh, who we're talking about is watching. I asked him too. Oh, wait, the Kyle? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> if you're watching, Kyle, shout out to you. Yeah, you got <laughs> Did you give him the, you better be watching this, Kyle, yeah. talk? <laughs> Earlier this morning, I didn't have time to check in right before that. Um, so we're, we're in our last few minutes here. Um, uh, final paradoxical thoughts. <laughs> My brain hurts. A paradox might appear like a paradox, but oftentimes it is not. And there is a healthy way to sort of balance mm -hmm. two extremes. You don't have to always pursue both to their logical ends and you can, you know, find happy balance. I think it's a symptom. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I agree. And which, uh, I, and I would also say it's a symptom. It's um, uh, if you're, if you feel like you're stuck and divided like that or, it means that there's there is a need for balance to be restored in some capacity, and so instead of looking at it as like an impossible situation, look at it as a situation that just needs some attention. Um, you could you could ask as a coaching question, what is the opposite of that, whichever that is. Well, opposite though, does that take us to the other side? What is the middle of that? <laughs> so you need to be able to identify that other side and then wait and then come back to what what is their neutral position on it mm -hmm. so being able to look at things from any possible aspect is going to help build that balanced space mm -hmm. yeah and the thing that's coming to mind right now is if we're in a furious activity focusing on one thing what are we missing in the environment around it? Mm -hmm. So the slowing down and pausing and breathing actually gets more done in the pause than continuing to frantically spin. That's a stepping bag. That's the fresh eyes in, mm -hmm. in design and, and, and paint, painting and things like that is you, you want to stop what you're doing, even writing everything, get away mm -hmm. from it for a while and come back with fresh eyes. Because if you're in it too much, you don't see those, you know, mistakes, the, the, the issues, the hiccups, the, and that's also, you're able to come back without being emotional. Usually. It's fair fighting as well. <laughs> it's what you use in fair fighting. I think too, um, getting another perspective yes. I mean, is a huge. And that's, uh -huh. that's, again, turning to your team, being open, being communicating, saying, hey guys, what am I missing here? What do I need to know here? What can we do here? Let's have a, talk, let's have a discussion. Let's work this out. Um, that's big. That's communicating. I mean, man, if you guys didn't talk to me, I, I quit a long time ago. <laughs> Gone. <laughs> I think there's a lot more things in the world that are paradoxical than we realize. I think the apparent ones come up uh, is because perspective is rearing its head. And we realize that there's a point of view that we really haven't taken um, yet. And I, I, I really thinking about it, pretty much everything that you think of can be a paradox. Um, because everything has different perspectives uh, and not necessarily, again, one exact answer to everything. Um, some, some of the staunch leaders will say, we've always done it this way. It's always been successful here. And I don't want, how, how would you 
uh, help that leader come to a different perspective. Got you here, won't get you there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> was or the die. biggest fight I had. Yeah, it was the <laughs> biggest fight I had in corporate. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, what is it, your observation, Jerome, when you say that, that you know, that paradoxes can exist in everybody, in everything, and what does that, what does that tell you about anything, people, business? Yeah, there is, again, there, there is never one absolute answer, um, unless you're saying there's never one absolute answer. Uh, I think there's just, uh, there's always different ways of doing things is really my takeaway. Um, and there isn't necessarily a law that is just unbreakable that says, if you do it this way, this is going to be the outcome. I think there's always potential for things to change in the world and um, for different, again, processes to change for different outcomes. Um, I think just keeping in mind, perspective is huge. Perspective can alter the outcome of things in ways that you didn't expect because you were so concerned about doing it this one way that we've done forever. And this outcome has been the exact same way over the course of a hundred years, successful, you know, it's been documented, but taking a different stance on it could potentially drive that success even higher, I think. I mean, we'd all be in our Flintstones cars uh, <laughs> still exactly. if we didn't embrace a little change now and again. <laughs> um, uh, and that's that uh, ad that adaptation, that innovation. You've got to you've got to accept it while at the same time maintaining your your business at the same time. So it's that again, it's a balance. All about striking that balance, right? It's resilience. What we're talking about is resilience throughout this whole conversation. While we're talking about paradox, it's how to build resilience in the process of being leader, in the process of being in a relationship, in the process of anything, that resilience is what allows us to adapt and grow and change. And what's interesting, what are the, what, what helps you be more resilient? Having a support system, right? Having a support system, yeah. Um, having, having a plan. <laughs> um, being able to listen. Being able to listen. Um, that these are all things, being flexible and being, uh, um, these are all things that help you be resilient, all things that make also good business, good leaders. Uh, yeah, without a doubt. So, all right. Well, we're going to, uh, Jerome, do you want to mention the challenge? Yes, let's challenge it up challenge. for a second. Because it has just been extended, everyone. It did. I extended it without yeah. even telling you. It's okay. <laughs> I got my eye on everything. I've seen it. Yeah, no, it has been extended to, if I'm not mistaken, March 30th, right? Mm -hmm. Okay. So. Yes. What I want to do is just briefly go over it um, quickly. If you guys are still watching, I think I might go ahead and break this down so that we have a quick, short, brief um, video as well to show to you guys. Um, we are doing the CLCI how-to challenge. Um, and what we're doing is going ahead and asking you guys to hop online, go ahead and give us a video of you doing something. Um, we want you to go ahead and it doesn't have to be anything that's extremely difficult, uh, something that is, you know, out of yell or anything like that. It could be something as simple as we've got Sue. I, have we have we checked on Sue's latest submission? Sue has been several, but I forgot we have more prizes. Yes, too. So we're giving away over $3,000 worth of prizes in this challenge. So over $3,000 oh. in it, it, worth of prizes with the four restrains. We've also got two basically you're getting websites uh being given so um that's huge especially for new coaches that's huge so that right there is over three thousand dollars in prizes that you could be getting 
just by filming a how-to video or liking or sharing or commenting. <laughs> so yes. quickly, I'm gonna I'm gonna do the points. We'll do this. We'll run through them quickly. So the way that you so these are points for submissions. You get a certain amount of submissions based on the, the point total. So uh, for interacting, this is a how-to video. Well, we're we're gonna say this is a how-to. Um, so if you go ahead and share this video, you get five points for that. Uh, if you comment on it, you get two points. I've seen we had some comments throughout our stream. So you guys get two points. Um, and then if you like this, you get one point. And if you really want to ramp it up, get in on fun, you can actually go ahead and create your own how-to video, which is what we're asking you guys to go ahead and do. Again, whatever it is that you want to show to the world that you know how to do, go ahead and put that out. That's 10 points worth of submissions. And then if you, we want to pay it forward too, this is kind of a pay forward type deal where we're trying to get out there as well. Uh, if you tag somebody and challenge them to go ahead and do a how-to video just as you did, that's another three points worth of submission. So that's a lot of points. That is a lot of points. So there's a lot of opportunities <laughs> to hop in and potentially win. I mean, get I'm gonna drop um, three thousand dollars that we're talking about. I'm gonna drop in our in, in this in this here thing in the comments uh, an article that was written last week uh, that has a list of all of the ways that you can get points, um, and it's on our website. So <laughs> it will be included in this blog as well for this video too. Yeah, watch read the blogs, guys. They're yeah, really read good. Read my blogs. <laughs> They're really good. They are very good and well written. <laughs> okay, well, yeah. Yeah. well done. Well done. <laughs> and they might be humble. <laughs> and Brooke also helps with them too. She's a very good editor for me. You guys are great at them. Um <laughs> okay, uh, by the way, Sue says she is more coming um uh as well so um we're gonna finish up and on that note uh everybody watching make sure you check out certified life coach institute join the challenge hashtag clci how to and um also enjoy or in, embrace your paradoxes everybody embrace them yes all right that's all, all right. that's important Bye, yes. hashtag, hashtag clci had too yes that's hashtag. very important make sure you get that on there so we can yes, track please do read the articles too Bye, Ducks. Hey, everyone. Thanks for tuning in to today's episode. Once again, this is brought to you by Certified Life Coach Institute. We're an ICF-accredited school who certifies our life coaches in three-day online intensive courses. In addition to other podcast episodes, feel free to check us out every Tuesday at 4 o'clock p.m. Pacific Standard Time on YouTube or Facebook for our CLCI Lives, where we get together and discuss various topics that are centered around sharpening your skills so you can become a better certified life coach. For more information, feel free to visit us at certifiedlifecoachinstitute.com. Until next time, be well.